0: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Created for Connection, a podcast that explores the way we become isolated from one another and how God moves us toward connection with Him and with each other. In this episode, we interview Jill Shelby, Next Gen Minister at The Hills Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Jill shares some of her own story with us about connecting with God. She also talks about a receptive posture in pursuing spiritual formation. To everyone listening, we're glad you're here.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Created for Connection. I'm Kevin Shelby and I'm here with Paul McMullen. How's it going, Paul? Hey, Kevin, I'm doing
0: well. Happy Good Friday to you. To you as well. So I, I know people, of course, listen to, podcast episodes and all sorts of times and seasons and years later but uh as i mentioned it is a good friday but it's also nba playoffs and what, what were you yeah. gonna say about the the grizzlies wait so you're in memphis and the grizzlies are uh second in the west right and the, they are and yeah. where are they going?
1: yeah okay. and uh we're playing the timberwolves uh game one is tomorrow So I think I've mentioned before on here that I'm a season ticket holder, which, you know, of course in my way, I'm trying to make make myself sound more important than I am. It's not that big of a deal. You know, it wasn't it. We just, we bought two season tickets way up in Terrace, which is the top level, right? Okay. Um, And we did that because my daughter loves the Grizzlies. And, you know, it's kind of one of those family bonding things that we're investing in, but Because I'm a season ticket holder, I got our two tickets where our seats are for every round of the playoffs if I opt in. And it's like almost the price of the season ticket, like face value wise, all the way through the playoffs to the NBA finals. The most I'll have to pay is $32 per ticket for the final. Yeah. So that's that's pretty awesome. So I got like this opportunity to buy extra tickets to the playoff games. So you get your tickets plus another four tickets that you can buy, but it's at the Grizzlies face value of those that they sell to the public. You just get to buy them before the public does. So I bought four for this game and four more for the next game thinking I'm totally going to recoup my money. Sure. I'm going to sell these for a profit. You know, this is a no-brainer. I still haven't sold them, and the game is tomorrow. <laughs> and I spent a lot of money on these these tickets. So, I'm a, uh, I'm a little no. worried. I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm not going to lie.
0: I tell you what, not for the, the game tomorrow, but for the next one, I will give you $5 a ticket right now.
1: That's insulting. I mean, that's just insulting.
0: <laughs> well that's 20 bucks you're not going to have otherwise
1: oh <laughs> uh, i don't even i don't think you would do it i don't think you'd even drive over here to come to the game even though you no.
0: should. no i would i would sell them to somebody else for more money <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course you would you would take advantage of, of of my distress thanks paul that's awesome
0: no, I've got family that lives close by. So, you know, we we take advantage of a family as much as we can. Right. Yeah, for sure. For example, when well, we need. <laughs>
1: <laughs> In full confession here, though, I do have this feeling that happens with stuff like this where I'm like, man, I just totally screwed up. Like, how did I miss that? You know, gets so frustrated when stuff like this doesn't go the way that I want it to. So
0: yeah. I'm sorry, buddy. That, yeah,
1: that's, that's hard. Let's, let's sit with you and, and those negative emotions for a minute. I need to experience some freedom from that. I need, I need to be, I think, I think that is the heaviness needs to be lifted. Right. Yeah. It um, I don't
0: feel up to the task. This morning to help you in those ways, but I know someone who maybe would be
1: perfect lead-in to introducing our guest today, Paul. Like you could not have framed that better. So so well done. So today we have the privilege, the honor of having my my sister-in-law now, uh, Jill Shelby, who is the next gen minister at the Hills Church in North Richland Hills, Texas. And I just wanna say, as I'm introducing Jill, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. But uh, Paul, I, I've been so excited to have Jill on because this is this is the way that I, I see Jill and my brother, Chris. So Jill is married to my, my oldest brother, Chris. She's been in my family, part of my family for so long. She is literally like, like my sister. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel so connected to them. Every time I get to spend time with them, I walk away feeling like I have been in the presence of God. I have been filled by the spirit. And I, they're the kind of people that you go spend time with and you, you can't wait to get back because you just feel refreshed and full. And it, it's an outpouring of who they are. And Jill is hungry to know the Lord in ways that I don't come across many people. I'm just excited because I know that that we are going to experience that in this conversation. We'll leave this conversation hungry for more because Jill is, is always finding ways to, to breathe new life into the people that she's with. So Jill, I've given some introductions. Why don't you Introduce yourself, kind of tell us a little bit about what you're doing. What does it mean to be Next Gen Minister at the Hills?
2: Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Paul. So next gen minister, I started in October. Really, I am overseeing and leading in regards to vision, strategy, and alignment uh, with the spiritual formation of our kids and students from birth all the way through college age. And so that looks like, when I say alignment, that looks like working with our leaders to ask questions like, <laughs> when, when our students leave our church and head out, maybe they come back here as adults, maybe they go to different places, what are we after? <laughs> you know, what, is it, what does it look like to be a 22, 23-year-old emerging adult do we have have a picture of, of kind of the way we want that person formed into the image of Christ? And do the people that are working in our nursery are, are teaching our four-year-olds or our fifth graders or our ninth graders or our 12th graders? Like, do they all have the same picture? (laughs) Do we all know what we're talking about when we say spiritual formation and formed into the image of Christ? And then do, do we know what that looks like at different life phases and stages, right? Because as a person matures through life, they're primed and ready to experience God in different ways based on their age and experience. Uh, we talk about um, how our really younger, younger kids, uh, they're in a stage of wonder. So it, they're primed for like,
1: wow,
2: God, that's you there? right? And as they get a little bit older in middle school, they're primed for discovery. They're ready to discover new things about themselves, new things about God. Like I was amazed back here, but there's still new things for me to discover. And I'm actually part of that process. I'm like a researcher and figuring things out. And then as we get ready to launch them into adulthood, it's when passion really starts to emerge in them. And it's like connecting them for like their purpose of existence. And so it's kind of leading our our, our leaders, our staff, our parents, our volunteers, and can we walk alongside kids and students at that stage and point them like the answer to that wonder and discovery and passion. It's all the same. The answer is all the same. It's the presence of God. So I get to do that. Isn't that really cool that that's my job?
1: Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I feel w- like
2: God made me for this actually.
1: Well, for sure. And I mean, it's, a, it's a perfect fit. And I, I think it's going to be really cool for our listeners to hear how what you just described. Our conversation is going to come full circle back to that and how how well you are suited for being in that role. So so I'm excited to watch that happen. And I think this is I can't I'm just really excited to have this conversation today because we're we're continuing with the theme. And Paul, you might want to add something to this, but we're continuing with the theme of connecting with God. And specifically today, we're talking about how we connect with God and then looking at the, the next generation and how we're helping them walk into the presence of God and what and how that might look different in some ways too. Yeah. So we have
0: had two conversations this season about connecting with God. And the, the first two were just you and I, Kevin, talking about this. And we talked about kind of finding God, uh, this idea that God is maybe closer than we think. And again, this idea of, oh, we've got to strive to get close to God to connect with him. And then we're, um, kind of reframing some of that and thinking about what if God was, was closer and it was about our awareness and our attention towards him. And then the, the last one we did was uh, about, again, some of the ways that we approach God. And if we typically approach God and we think about it in prayer, maybe, as um, we can, you know, it's mainly about us admitting all the ways that we fail so that we can clear that stuff out of the way so we can be worthy to be closer to God. Or it's about all the things that we need and God is the one that can give us the need. So it's our laundry list. And so if we're if a framework for connection is mainly, I either need to confess all my bad stuff or ask for all the good stuff I need. And that's, what God is to me, he's either a forgiver or a, you know, the, the giver and again, and, and we always, we, we said, yes, God does all those things, but if that's our only framework, that's inadequate for the sort of life that we need, that's going to fulfill us. And so really this is this conversation today, I think in some ways we'll uh, riff off that. And then also be about like, how do we help others connect? to God in, in the ways that we're learning. It's very much, you know, Jill, Kevin and I talk, are, you know, we kind of talk on the fly about what are we learning in real time about what we need uh, to connect with God. And so it's very much not like we've got it all figured out and we've, you know, we're uh, we're experts on our subject matter necessarily, but this is our discovery process. This is what we're learning. This is what we're being drawn toward. We think, these, this, this sort of path that we're on is also a path we've, we find other people on too, and that it's good to talk about and share in the journey. So,
1: yeah, it's like waking up. It's like waking up.
2: Well, as Paul was talking, I was thinking, you know, I find myself saying a lot. God is a, is brilliant. Like he's so, he's so clever and he's a master strategist. And so if he were to play a game, it wouldn't be checkers. It would be multidimensional chess because he's doing so many things at the same time. And so Paula loved how you're articulating as you're wanting to take people on a journey, you're realizing, oh, I'm on that journey too. And so that's the brilliance of God. It's like, yes, (laughs) you don't have to figure all this out. Just step into the story and kind of watch it start to unfold and just already God drew me back to act 17. And I just want to share it because I think, uh, it actually might, might be a really great frame moving forward. Um, maybe with me, but also with the next generation, because every generation needs the same thing. Mm. And so this brings me, I brought me back to act 17 and Paul showing up in Athens and he's discerning. What do these people, what do these people think they need? And he, you know we are, he he's looking around Athens and he's seeing all of these idols built to all of these gods, and even this one to an unknown god. And he's trying to meet them where they are, knowing what they need because we all need the same thing. But like our entry point into what we need, which is the presence of God, takes some discernment, like how to speak the right language. So when I think of the next generation, I think we just need to know where they are and how to talk to them about what they need. And I trust that they need the same thing I need. And so I just want to read this really quick. Um, Paul says, you know, this one to the unknown God, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the one who made the whole world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need from one man he created all the nations throughout the earth. And he decided beforehand hmm, when they should be and determined their boundaries. So basically he determined when every person should live and where they should live. And so I think about the next generation. They are the generation to live now. They're the generation for their future because God determined it. So that gives me so much confidence in them. I'm not afraid for the next generation. They are the generation for their future because God determined it. And he did it because... His purpose was for everyone to see after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us.
1: So, Paul, that was
2: your language before. And I love this passage because... We we don't we do not have to be afraid for the next generation. God has put them here so that they would reach out and find Him, though He is not far from us. And so my job, and I think the job of us that are a little bit older, is to is to discern and walk alongside them as they reach out and grope and try to find Him. And we're He's here, He's right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we talked about earlier, I think a lot of the question is are we in his presence? Are we experiencing him or are we holding out some model or some, um, <laughs> something, something you have to figure out to be in his presence? Or are we just being in his presence and inviting them into that place?
0: Are, yeah. are we holding out, uh, our experience from a decade ago or 20 years ago that we're still trying to, you know suck the last life out of our memory of which is formative but it's it's not enough just to live off of kind of the fumes of being filled up in the past and if that's where we're at we're there's going to be a um there's going to be burnout but there's also going to be a sense of uh where where is is god now and it doesn't mean there's not dark nights of the soul anyway we may be jumping way ahead in this conversation But all that to say, I'm really tracking with where you're at. It's giving me a lot of hope, too, for the next generation. And I mean, and for our generation, (laughs) for that matter. God's not done with us either.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's this this need to see people who are walking through the world and they're saying, I want life. I want real life. And I want it right now. I don't want to you know, I don't want to just ride through life, the rest of my life on the good things that I've done. Because I'm, I'm hungry to be connected back to the source of life. That hunger is what people see in us, you know, it's the difference between, you know, you've seen somebody like walk into a room, and they've got bright eyes, and they're ready, you know, they're, they're ready, they, you can't explain it, but they, they want to engage, they want to be connected. You know, they're, they're, they are full of life themselves versus somebody who walks in and they just go stand in the corner and they don't really want to participate. And we're drawn to the people that walk in with, with, that are full of life and they, they want to share that life with us. And that there's no method to that. And that's why I think what you're talking about, Jill, is so important is are we people that are walking in the truth not the truth not the necessary i don't think jesus is saying you know the truth will set you free like if you know the the biblical like truth right the words that are true but if you know the truth me i'm the truth if you know that truth then you will be free are we walking as people of truth knowing the source of life and that will appeal to the next generation. I love that. So I'm interested if we could take, you know, just a few minutes to talk about, you said, you know, I feel like I'm like, this is my role. Like this is something that I feel like God has, has led me towards. And obviously you're passionate about it. Like, I think we could let you talk the whole podcast about, you know, all that God is doing to help form you and form that ministry but are there some things in your story that pointed that have pointed you in this direction, you know, like struggles, pivot points, things that have brought you to a place of being so passionate about some of the things that you're now teaching?
2: Yes <laughs> so the question right is not have there been, but like which ones to share today?
1: That, that's a better question, yeah which one yeah. Which ones are like jump out to you as these pivot points of your life?
2: You know, um, the first thing I always think about when I think about when do I think I first remember experiencing the presence of God was I was probably six years old and I was, I was at the playground of our school, which was just two blocks from our house. And it was about dusk and I was on the swing set and I was swinging and like my language for it now is that I had a transcendent experience. Then as a six-year-old, I think it was just the sense of, there is so much more that I do not see. Wow. And now that I know what I know about child development, it was like, I was primed in the wonder stage. And I was looking at the sky and dusk and, you know, the experience of swinging. And it was just like this overwhelming but beautiful sense of wonder, right? But it was the presence of God. And I remember thinking, do other people have this? But not, but knowing I didn't have like a bucket to talk about it. Uh, I knew it was God, but I didn't really know how to, and it didn't really fit in the religious tradition I was brought up in, you know, to talk about God in these like transcendent terms, like I feel him. (laughs) Um, But I've remembered that several times, even recently, like what a gift that was, and that God has given me the memory of that. Um, But I think growing up, I grew up really respecting and appreciating the written word in the Bible and learning it, which is such a gift. I'll just say it's such a gift, but maybe to the point that the Bible was an idol a little bit. And yet God redeems everything. That's the thing. Like when we submit, he redeemed, he redeems everything. And so the fact that I know the word, the written word of God has been nothing but a gift as I've continued on a journey with God. So sometimes we think like the limitations of how we were introduced to God will always hold us back. I don't think they will. I think God uses them in our story if we let it, if we, don't, if we don't harbor bitterness and resentment for it. I remember when our family, you know, went to Rwanda in 2008 and we were missionaries there. And in our preparation, I remember being introduced to a book by Gary Moon called Falling for God. And I'm reading this book about like falling in love with God. And I'm like, I'm both a little scandalized. Like, is this okay? But there are practices at the end of each chapter. And I'm like, I've always been a a little bit of a risk taker. So I'm like, I'm going to do this. (laughs) I'm going to do these things. And I remember thinking, where has this been all my life? Right. And so then Rwanda, which was its own, um, everything stripped from us in one day. Right, you can no longer do life the same way when you wake up in a foreign country, and and you're living there and you got to figure it out. And so, just God's goodness and kindness in the middle of that, with kind of rebuilding a life, so to speak, and being able to say, now that everything's gone, <laughs> what's worth keep? What's worth uh What's worth beginning again with? What does real community look like here in this new place? And so, the things God taught us there just phenomenal seeing how another culture experiences the gospel and lives it out Uh, being part of a multicultural community then being called back to the to the United States and feeling like that was a much tougher decision And, and even realizing oh in some ways Rwanda had become an idol I think my story what I would say a common theme is I think God loves me so much that he has allowed many things that I love to be stripped away from me and when I say many things I love, I mean many things that were gifts from him that I made ultimate things and he knew that was not good for me. And so he, he's allowed many times in my life for lesser things to be stripped away from me and ask, do you trust me? Do you wanna come deeper with me? And by the grace of God, I've said yes every time. <laughs> he doesn't disappoint. It doesn't mean I don't experience disappointment. So don't hear me. And it's been hard. But I think that's been a constant, I think that's been a constant theme with what he's wanted to do in and through me is almost like model, like what obedience looks like, even when you don't understand. Uh, and it has been gracious enough for me to see how he's, re, how he's worked through every yes that I've given him.
0: So Jill, you, you mentioned that book that uh, I think someone gave you in 2008, that was on the, <clears throat> on the front end of moving to Rwanda. Yes. Right. And so in that you said it was kind of about how to fall in love with God, which was kind of scandalous. Mm-hmm. And was that was a kind of different way of connecting with God than what you had known prior. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it,
2: was, it contrasted the that Our relationship with God is about our our head knowledge of him and having a right view of doctrine and being able to say we believe certain things that are correct. That had been sort of like the limitation of what I considered faith. And there have been other things that had broken that open a bit. But I I think I remember that book being kind of like a a hard pivot. Like, okay, there's quite a bit more here.
0: (laughs) And it just is interesting to me that so you have you receive that and then as you're being asked to give up all of these other things these other potential loves these other comforts that man i i love i i think about the comfort of a warm shower whenever you 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 know you you want to have running water in a in a warm shower whenever you want for of being able to have a vehicle to drive wherever you want and roads that are you know are, and then to have something like have the, those easy niceties of life uh, become more complicated in your setting, and then to fall in love—I'm guessing with people and culture there—and then to have to give that up—that's a—that is a lot of loves gained and loves and, and, and loves lost uh, at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can tell. It seems like that mm-hmm. you feel you still feel that the maybe some of the like the beauty and also the grief of having having to say, yeah, I'm saying goodbye to to some of these things, but I still feel this the deep love of God growing in the midst of this. Yeah.
2: I think John 10 comes to mind when Jesus is saying, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And maybe like our American, maybe materialistic interpretation of that, it means he's, he's come to give me good things all the time and things that make me happy. And yet the one who said those words was the one who became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. And he's the one who considered it pure joy, like for the joy set before him, he endured. And so in a sense, I feel like Jesus is saying a full life is gonna be a life full of sorrow and joy. And in fact, the height of your joy will only match the depth of your sorrow. And so as you're saying the words that you're saying, I'm saying my my capacity to experience sorrow and joy, they've expanded in relationship to one another. And so I feel like that's related to what you're asking me, Paul. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so when you talk about people in Rwanda that I'm no longer with um, every day, I can immediately feel the the loss of that. Hmm. And yet right there connected with it are all the things that I get to do right now. And that, again, the brilliance of God, had I not gone to Rwanda, I don't think there's any way I could do what I'm doing now. I may be the one going off in a different direction now, but.
1: (laughs) And I stand, I stood on, on the edge watching as a witness to some of those things. And, you know, I can remember you guys talking about the, the beauty of being on mission with people, in a in a place like Rwanda and the depth of community that's forged in that kind of life is something that is, is difficult to even explain, you know, and then watching the, the, watching you let go of that, come here, back to the States and wrestle with that was um, I remember the loss that you guys experienced, you know,
2: not to mention, you know, Rwandan Christians who were able to see our culture and reveal it to us in ways that we couldn't see and vice versa. So being a part of a community that was able to like, you know, when you're right in the middle of your own culture, you can't see things that are like not in line with the kingdom of God. In fact, you, you've just kind of baptized them because they've always been part of your culture. Right. And so I think some of, when I think about Rwanda and what God did in that season was he allowed us to be a part of, yes, a community that came from the United States with us, but also Rwandan Christians who allowed us to really look at ourselves um, in a new way and let go of, of some of like our, our American Christian culture idols. And now that we've come back to the U.S., it's interesting because now I see things that I would not have seen before. And I remember my, my spiritual mother saying, you do realize you're now a prophet in your home culture because you're coming back and, and you're able to see that. So
0: would you be willing to share just a few of the the idols that you see and when you come back and you and you notice more of the distinction between american culture or american christianity and then christianity at large that you experienced in other parts of the world
2: well individualism for sure versus, versus community you know that tension between i'm in control of my own life <laughs> Versus my life is caught up in the life of the faith community that I'm a part of. Definitely uh, greed and materialism and consumerism. (laughs) One thing that we realized when we came back to the U.S. is our our question shifts here from what are we going to do, which is a very, I, I mean, it's a very, the fact that I get to decide what I'm going to do on a daily basis is pretty interesting. Like, what am I going to eat? right? Where am I going to go? Those became the questions. And when we were in Rwanda, the question tended to be, who will we be with today? So that's a, when I say, when I say greed and consumerism, I mean, just how much like entertainment and com- the comforts, like your creature comforts, you can orient your whole life around that in a, um, I can't think of the word in a, when you have a lot of money. <laughs> anyway
1: culture well mm
2: -hmm.
1: abundance privileged privileged Privileged. yeah Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm glad that you're you're kind of commenting on some of these things because it makes me think about I'm always thinking about words that we use and and how we take those words and internalize them And and so all I can do is you know kind of like check in my own spirit what that feels like to hear words like idols and materialism and things like that and so i feel a little bit affronted by that and i think that's good but what i what i think the shift is in terms of like focusing on what an idol is in terms of this whole podcast and the idea of created for connection mm-hmm. oh, i want our listeners to to think about idols in terms of something that stands in between your connection with God, not some like terrible thing that you've involved yourself in that you, you know, that somebody needs to just like, I don't know, beat you down over, but more like God Mm -hmm. takes us through the process of saying, you don't need this. You think you need this, but you don't need this. And you will, you will understand that If you sit with me, if you come and be with me, the invitation continues to be come and be with me, right? Like I have more to give you than what that is going to give you. That's the frame that I I, want to push us towards.
2: Yeah. Well, most things that, and, and I think this is the key that we make idols. It's not that some things are idols and some things aren't, it's most of them are gifts from the good giver that we have now replaced with the giver and so I think our constant what connection with God does is it orders our desires so money is not inherently an idol <laughs> you know um, Rwanda obviously is not inherently an idol your spouse and your family are not inherently an idol All of these received in the right posture in the right place are beautiful gifts from our God and they're signs of of his love for us. I think what he's, I think what he's watching for is, oh, dear one, (laughs) you've settled. You've made that gift that I've given you an ultimate thing. That's an idol. You've, you've put it in a place that only I occupy and I love you so much. We can't leave that there. Because the end of that, if you really are going to idolize, worship, orient your life around that, it leads to death and destruction. So I think we think God is, doesn't want us to have any fun. So he's coming around and stripping idols from us like, I'm jealous you must worship me. I think he's saying, I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for your heart. You hear the different way I'm saying this. Mm-hmm. This is the only way you're going to be who I've created you to be. This is the only way you're going to find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, it's very different.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. It makes me think about, and you guys jump in here because I could go look it up, but there were two tribes that when Israel was settling in Canaan in the promised land, there were two tribes that stayed on the other side of the Jordan. They said, we'll stop here. And I, I think it was Dan, the tribe of Dan, and maybe Ephraim and Manasseh. I can't remember. Paul, do you remember who it is?
0: Well, let's go with who you said. Okay, don't don't arrest me by doing Bible trivia right now.
1: <laughs> well, you're our MDiv guy. I feel like you should know. I know. Anyways, um, so there's two tribes that settle on the other side of the Jordan, and it, it's like they they are willing to to stop short of crossing over into into this beautiful lush land that god has promised for israel and he lets them he lets them and they also they also are still connected to the group you know like even there's even this story where an idol is or a statue set up and, and the 10 tribes go out to war against them because they think they're giving themselves to other gods. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. And there's like this peace that happens between them. And then they, then they're attacked. Right. And the whole, all of Israel bands together to go and protect these two tribes that have settled on the other side of the Jordan. So like there's struggle and there's relationship and there's faith and 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 community, but they're still on the other side of the Jordan, right? They haven't quite crossed into what God promised them. So the conversation is making me think about like, I think God lets us, he he will let us stay on the other side of the Jordan and he'll even let us thrive there because we think this land is good enough right? Because I think that's what happened. They, they got to the Jordan River and they said, it's good enough. And I think what God would say to us is don't settle for it's good enough. I have so much more for you. I'm, I'm welcoming you into something that you could not even understand if I tried to tell you.
0: So um, yeah, it, I, I looked it up. It's uh, Gad and Reuben. And then Manasta is on both sides. So they were kind of wishy-washy. They crossed over a little bit, but not all the way. So they're they're kind of the
1: wild card in your scenario. I can't believe, I didn't even get one of them right. That's terrible. We wanna take a moment and thank Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring today's episode. Wellspring is an initiative Paul launched at the beginning of 2021 that provides people with a safe place to process the experiences they're facing in life. Whether you're going through challenges or transitions, or if you need a safe group of people to share life with for a season, we invite you to join a Wellspring process group. I've been in one of these groups and it's been a life-changing experience for me. I encourage you to go to the show notes right now and contact Wellspring to find out when you can join a process group for yourself. So, but i but i'm interested in kind of shifting the conversation here because like Jill what you said the depth of my sorrow has matched the depth of my joy my ability to experience joy so you, you come back from Rwanda and you you find yourself like the lord is reshaping renewing some things in you and that that leads you into this this new role as next gen, uh, minister there at the Hills. And I just love how that story unfolds, you know, like if you had, if they had, if the Hills had asked you to be next gen minister 10 years ago, straight from Rwanda, it would, that would have been a very different process, probably, you know, different, um, experience for you that maybe, I think your story highlights Mm -hmm. God has something ready for us. He has something in store, but he has a process to get us there, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, and there's going to be struggle in that. And so, so it's not, it's not necessarily discerning the good and the bad based on whether we struggle or not. It's recognizing that both the good and the bad are bringing us to a place of abundant life if we stay connected to the source. And that's really like, if there's anything that I I'm so refreshed by every time we get together and talk and, you know, it's that you are constantly bringing it back to that. And I'm, I want you to talk about that today. So like, there's this quote that you have shared with me that I want to read. And I just, I want us to like talk about how this is continuing to to shape you, okay? So this is by Walter Brueggemann, and this is what the quote says. The righteous person is someone who is not merely moral, but someone who has the energy and capacity to maintain a transformative presence in society. Everywhere he or she goes, life becomes livable again. So Jill just in the immediate, what what comes to mind as you listen to that quote? Because I know you've contemplated it and mm-hmm. it's, it's been working on you for a while now.
2: Yeah. yeah, And I think it speaks to the, the podcast that you two did earlier about connection with God, not just being the ability to keep some moral code. And yet morality or doing the right things is a part of our journey, but it's finding that appropriate place for it. So I think it's interesting that it says a righteous, so a right person, a person who's living a right kind of life, like, and I, I'm gonna, the kind of life they were designed to live. Who is that person? Okay. Well, the righteous person is not merely moral, but seems to encompass that they are moral, <laughs> right? But, but rather it's a person who is able to maintain what is it again? Help me with the quote there, the energy and capacity to maintain a transformative presence in society. So how do we do that? That seems like huge that we're able to, I, I keep the capacity, what is it? The energy and capacity. Yeah. That we have the energy and capacity to maintain a transformative presence in society. So I think about the fact that God made us, he designed us to image him forth in the world. So when people see Kevin, when people see Paul, they see Paul and they see Kevin, but in a sense, they see the creator, like you're imaging him forth into, into the world. That's the Imago Day, right? And so, but often we don't feel that way. We don't feel like we're just, it's kind of this natural here, here's God, here's his glory. And I, I heard you guys wrestling your previous podcasts about when we make, when we make being righteous about morality. It becomes about us again and whether I can do this or not, whether I in my own strength and power and capacity, whether I can keep a set of rules, whether I can figure things out instead of, I love this quote because it points back to always and forever. God's design was be with me, stay connected with me, experience my glory. And then naturally (laughs) you will, you will reflect back what you have reflected on. And I think you know this, Kevin, but one of my favorite passages is Second Corinthians 3.18. It's like we with unveiled faces. It's like we're contemplating his glory. And as we're doing that, we're being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next, glory to glory, glory to glory. Like We could sit on that for a long time. As we contemplate his glory, we are becoming glorious. We're becoming the very thing that we're looking at. Uh, it's like, I love the title of this book. Discipleship begins with beholding what is before you because you're becoming that. And so that, that quote to me says, "Hmm, you're going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to be a glorious person who glories God forth as you are connected to him. So it becomes just who you are. You walk in a room and life becomes livable again in that room because you're bringing life with you because you've been contemplating, reflecting on experiencing, sitting in, soaking in the presence of God.
0: You know, Jill, I heard somebody recently teaching about something that I think connects with what you're saying. And he was saying Christians believe believe that their justification, their being made right is a gift or, or you know, a lot of Christians do, or we say we do. Mm-hmm. Kevin and I were debating in that one episode, if we really believe that. Mm -hmm. But then we seem to think that our sanctification, that glory to glory is actually something we do on our own effort. So we get the one freely, but then we have to work really, it's all on us to do the second one, you know, this, this act of, of God instead, what if both are freely given gifts of of, re- of reception and putting ourselves in a receptive s- space and that's what i was thinking of when you we were just saying yeah. like what does it look like
2: and we you know there are all of these uh, tensions and paradoxes in scripture because the gospel is not reductionistic it's 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 always yes and no <laughs> and when i say that i mean you know james talking about the tension between uh, faith and works I think it's, um, when I spend time in the presence of God, and I love that we did this before we started the podcast, and we receive a word from him, right? I want to do that. I want to act on that right now. The people that we love, we want to respond to them. And so I think this uh, sanctification process is, a lot of it is obedience, i mean we're not we aren't sanctified without obedience so there there's a tension and we don't i don't think we ever want to like reduce things i think we don't like tension so we we tend to fall to one side or the other and that's why fruit is a great indication of whether we're being sanctified or not but the only the only reason i have power to obey is from the source of power so as soon as i do something i give him credit cuz i know where the power came from
0: you mentioned Earlier, before we we started recording, that the space between God's voice in your life and then your response or your obedience to that has grown a lot smaller, and that that sense of trust. And for people that are listening, and let's say that uh, let's see, people have been tracking with us, and they're like, "Yeah, the, I I I kind of get what you guys are saying about this." This sort of shift towards being in God's presence is what transforms me, and and not me striving after it. But what is what does that look like? For how has that looked like? Like even you returning from Rwanda, you're you're giving up these loves, and then how do how have you felt drawn towards that in tangible ways? Because it it is it is something that we can talk about in theological terms and kind of big terms. What does that look like? when Jill is home or when Jill is in the the office, how has God met you in those places?
2: Yeah. I'm sifting through maybe some examples that might be meaningful for you, for listeners. So spiritual disciplines, I think are super important because they place us in a, in a receptive posture. They're not the point. Sometimes we make them the point and we can can even idolize spiritual practices. And when I say spiritual practices, when I think about the next generation, you know, they always think, yes, I need to read my Bible and pray. (laughs) But soaking in the word of God in scripture, I think is super helpful. And we did that before this podcast. And it's like verses that I've read a hundred times. The hundred and first time I hear God's word afresh because i'm approaching scripture as i read it not as a book for me to gain mastery over so this has been a fundamental shift for me i'm not trying to figure this book out i'm not even trying to figure out the god that this book this book is about i'm not trying to figure him out i'm saying god what are you saying to me today in here and so this practice that we did before is a real example just like God, these words meant something when they were written and they mean something today and they'll mean something. And it's not even something different. It's like the revelation unfolds people that like Hebrew scholars, you know, they say this book is written in a real, this, the Bible is written in a very interesting way. It was never written in a way that you should read it and figure it out. It was meant to be read over a lifetime and it was meant to unfold in you both from a cognitive, understanding it there, but even like to soak into like your very being, and it actually changes you from the inside out. So I think you're asking more practical questions that I'm saying, but it's more my posture than even what I'm doing that's different.
1: I think that's really good.
2: <laughs> the posture of receptiveness, receptiveness to scripture, receptiveness to prayer, instead of me coming in. So when I say read the Bible, if I'm thinking in my old mindset, I'm thinking, what do i need to know is this my, right this is and if in prayer it's like these are the things i'm saying to god and i think they they've turned a little more receptive
1: so i i just want to share this um example that i think might bring some conversation and by the way i if we hadn't said it yet we might have but paul and jill and i did a what's called listening prayer prior to starting the podcast. So Jill has led listening prayers for a number of people and I've been a part of some of those groups and uh, so she led us through one today and it was really powerful. We considered hitting record but anyways, so some of the stuff that we're drawing from is what came from that that listening prayer time and Jill maybe you can read the scriptures that we had contemplated earlier and just what we were trying to hear from the Lord on but The story that came to mind as you were just talking is I'm reading this book called First Freedoms by uh, Jennifer Barnett. Jen is, she has led a ministry called Freedom Prayer. And so she's, this book is specifically about how to apply listening prayer, freedom prayer to your personal walk with the Lord, like in your, in your private prayer time with him. And so one of the things that, that, the prompts were at the end of the chapter it was to read Psalms 23, one through three. And I'm just going to read that real quick. It says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. In light of this conversation, even as I'm reading that, there's lots of stuff that's jumping out. But, I, but specifically in this reflection time, the prompt said, read that scripture and then think back through the last week or two of a time where you felt like you were not beside quiet waters. And we had just come back from Disney World and Disney world is not quiet waters. Okay. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong, but it's not quiet waters, right? There's a lot of chaos and, uh, and it can be stressful at times. And so there was this moment that came to mind when Melissa and I, we got into a fight. So she had asked, she had needed to take Millie to the bathroom. Millie's our youngest daughter. And uh, she had asked me to help the kids get some Mickey ear ice cream. And Melissa's mom wanted to go and get some Starbucks. And all of this was kind of in the general proximity. And so she left to take Millie to the bathroom. And then I said, Here, let's let's do this, you know, as part of like finishing up the plan. Let's all go meet in a place. And she, so Melissa comes back and she's like, Where's everybody at? So, like, I took offense to her questioning the decision I'd made to encourage everybody to, to do what I said, like, let's go meet at Starbucks, right. And it was a dumb thing. And I was, you know, I was being overly sensitive, I was stressed, I was tired, you know, all the things were at play. And I just got I was exasperated. I was so mad, you know, and I, so that, that instance came to mind. And I, you know, and so the question was, what, what is the difference between what you experienced and what God would want you to experience being led beside quiet waters through that moment? And so I had this picture of myself throwing my hands up in the air. I had a stroller in front of me, throwing my hands up in the air, just exasperated, which is something I actually did. And I could feel that in my body. And then The Lord led me to a picture of me just simply turning my hands over under the handle of the stroller as an act of surrender. And what I immediately understood from that, from that moment was that I carry the responsibility of my feelings and everybody else's feelings and all of their reactions And every choice they make all comes back to, did Kevin do what Kevin was supposed to do? And I carry this giant load in my life. And I felt the Lord very clearly. I can get, I get choked up just thinking about it very clearly saying, Kevin, you can't even fully carry your own stuff, much less everyone else's around you let me do it. Me leading you beside quiet waters looks like me doing that for you. And I, that has been a very profound word from God, something that I couldn't have contrived and something that I, I didn't expect. It was a revelation of knowledge that I didn't even know. I didn't, I could not have made myself get there. You know what I'm saying? Like all the therapy in the world that I would do on myself and talking to other people would not get me to see that without a revelation from the Lord.
2: I think it's creating space, maybe even back to Paul's question and your story as an example. And I'm just going to go ahead and talk about the next generation here because it's creating space because when we read through scripture, God speaks in a multitude of ways. And I love, I don't remember where I heard this, but he's a much better communicator than we are listener. And so I don't think the question is, is God speaking? I think the question is, are we we listening? Are we hearing? And so Kevin, a, a similar story that I just wanna tell is about when I was with my spiritual mother who I've told you about at her home and her 19 year old granddaughter walks in her home and Deb says to her granddaughter, hey, Jill is about to step into this role as a next-gen minister, as an emerging adult, 19-year-old, right? You know, what What would you say to her in her role? And this young woman says, why does it have to be so hard? She said, everything is crazy. Everywhere you go, it's like you have to do this and this and this and have so much anxiety and then even depression. And then I go to church and sometimes I feel the same way. Like, this is just another set of things I have to do to be okay. So in a sense, she was saying to me, no wonder this is the most anxiety-ridden generation in history. They're being bombarded with expectations. You know, technology is ubiquitous. Like, they could be on it all the time. And I read a book called Marching Off the Map" by Tim Elmore. And in it, it says something like, the modern person is exposed to more information in one day than someone who lived in the 1800s would have been in their entire life. And so here we are trying to process all of that and put it into categories and make meaning of it. Here we are trying to figure out the knowledge of good and evil for ourselves and we stink at it. We don't have the capacity for it. We weren't meant to do it. And so I turned to Deb and I'm like, well, you're the expert. You know, you've lived longer than all of us. What would you say to your granddaughter? And she says, and this is this is so much convergence that I don't have time for right now, but um, I feel like I went to visit her to receive something from her. And I'd received the whole time I was there. But God, He does this, you know, have, have you have you ever had a sense that He's saying, pay attention, what's about to happen is for you. When she started to speak, I just had a sense this is the gift you've been waiting for (laughs) you've received a lot of small ones while you've been here and she said you know the whole point of scripture is summed up in one word trust and I knew that that was the gift for me even walking into this new season who do you trust what do you trust are you trusting in your own ability to figure things out are you are you trusting in Yahweh God this this God that created everything and wants to walk with you And so I share that because I feel like she it was a gift I was given when I think about the next generation. The question before this next generation is what are you going to put the weight of your life on? And they're trying lots of different things and realizing it's all shaky. You know, here we are like a little bit post COVID when the rug has been yanked out from every person alive, right? Like we sense that the foundations of things are being shaken and as adults i think we're reeling but the next generation who's being formed into who they're going to be they're being formed in a time where everything is uncertain we can be afraid right about that or we can just say i know i know who you can put the full weight of your life on i'm doing it what watch me watch me watch how i'm living my life All this is chaos, but I I know this place, this quiet water place. I know this green pasture place. And when I'm there from that place, he shows me how to walk into the chaos and not be overcome by it, but by making those chaotic places livable again. And isn't that Genesis 1 all over again? His spirit hovers over the chaos and makes sense of it all, brings it back into order. He makes it where life can flourish. And then that's who we were created to be. We were created to be people that go out and do the same thing. And so I, I I, know you hear this, but I'm just so passionate about the next generation, not just catching a vision of that, but actually knowing how to do that. Yeah.
0: I, I'm excited. Like you're uh, energizing me as you talk. And this is awesome. Um, I, I note in your story, Jill, that you had you had gone to your, your spiritual mother's house um, probably with the expectation of, of benefiting and receiving from it. But then you have that next gen uh, young woman that asks you a question and then you, you bounce it, you know, to your mentor and then you're back in, instead of you being able to take the chance to stand up and be like, I got some ideas, you know, I got some, I got some wisdom on this you move back into a receptive spirit of this is a word for her, but it's actually a word for me. So I'm seeing this theme. If if we're, if we're asking the question, what does connection with God look like if we're reorienting ourselves towards prayer, towards spiritual disciplines, towards what does it look like to be that Walter Brueggemann person that walks everywhere and is transformative, however he put it? It is a receptive spirit towards the voice and the presence of God wherever we go, that will then fill us and work through us to let his glory be known across the earth. And that that is, that is exciting. It's exhilarating that God is everywhere and can meet us in those places. And um, I want to ask you about What does that look like as, as you've begun to kind of disciple people and disciple the next gen, what you're finding, what, what, what were you thinking, Kevin, just now you were, you were, I could tell you were thinking something.
1: Yeah. I I want to hear the answer to that. I was going to take us in the direction of, I just, I was going to confess that like, I resonate with that 19 year old's question. You know I mean, I, I'm asking the same one, maybe for different reasons, but I think that's why this conversation is so important to me. This and the other ones that we've had about connecting with God is like, I think our generation's struggle is moral pursuit, right? Like getting it right, being be, you know, that sanctification self-sanctification process that we try to we try to hold on to, right? And, and so maybe the next generation is like, I don't really care about that part of it. You know, this is what I care about. But I'm, I think we're still asking the same question. Why does it have to be so hard? It, it is exhausting sometimes, especially when you're striving and you feel like it's on you to make it worthwhile to live this life and to live it well. And so I, I don't I guess I just don't want us to miss or rush over the fact that that's a question probably many people are asking, regardless of what generation you're in.
2: Well, let's just talk about the millennials who are adults right now. You know, they are, they are the most educated generation in history, the millennials, right? And yet they are the most anxious. And as parents who millennials are now parenting, right? They are the most insecure parents ever. So think about that. (laughs) They're the most intelligent, the most educated, and yet the most insecure about their ability to do something, to to, to form their kids in a certain way. Why is that? Because more information is not the answer. We have that. (laughs) We have that in spades. We have it so much that we don't even know what to do with it. So one of my, like, famous, I'm not famous, but people that know me know I say this all the time. I I really think for the next generation, uh, we do not need to tell them what to think, but how they can figure out the, what, and they can, they can read an article that says this, and then they can read an article that says the exact opposite. So they need to know how, how do I make meaning of that? And that what I would say back to them is the presence of God is the strategy. He is so wise, right? (laughs) Just ask. He's longing to reveal himself, his mind. We have the mind of Christ. He's longing. But it's like we're, we're so busy trying to figure it out ourselves. That produces and churns in us anxiety because we have a sense that we can't do it. <laughs> and we're right. And so I think he's saying, I'll help you sort out what you need to know. And I think one of the first things he says to us, Kevin, is you're carrying burdens you were never meant to carry. Why do you think you have to figure that out? Whatever that is. So he gets the load right for us. (laughs) And then whenever we figure out the right load, then he says, and I'll actually show you exactly what you need to do to carry that, that thing. Yeah,
1: that's, that's awesome. And that's, I mean, I even think that's a message that's important for me to hear today. As I think about my own burdens that I'm trying to shoulder today, you know, and I'm, and I'm also thinking that how grateful I am that the Lord has got you in a position where you can give that message to people in the next generation. Cause like, I deal with it all the time. You know, I have parents come through the doors and they're like, you know, which cry it out method do I use? Which, you know, potty training method do I use? What discipline strategy should I use? You know, like there's so many questions and it's not because, it's not because there's no option, it's because there's too many options. And I think that's something that we face too, like, you know, what do I do? Which which way of connecting with God should I use? Which, you know, where do I, where do I go next in terms of like ministry involvement, and things like that and like being settled into the presence of God is the connection to the source. The, the method is far less important than the connection itself. We can't, t- we can't get that message out though unless we're doing it ourselves, right? So what I hear you saying, Jill, is you know, the best way that I can help lead this next generation is to begin with staying connected to the source myself. And then them seeing that and believing it I mean, I'm not just trying to tell them what to do. I'm trying to show them what I do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And instill and in them that whatever impulses that they have when they're in the presence of God, for them to respond to it in obedience immediately. And this accrues in them a way of life. And then they start to realize every time I respond to the spirit, life breaks out. Mm. And that's the God incarnates every act of obedience Meditate on that for a week or so. That's actually how God is unleashed in the world is through our obedience. And imagine a life of that, right? That's what makes that righteous person. It's a person that knows how to listen to the spirit and respond, listen and respond. And I think sometimes we think we need to figure it all out first before we listen and respond. You haven't asked me this question, but if you said, make it simple, I would say, listen and respond.
0: What, uh, keep, I want to keep making it simple. Um, (laughs) if someone, um, is, if their hearts are, are really stirred right now, but they've not, they're not familiar with this practice or this posture, what Mm -hmm. does, what does that feel like? What, when you hear from the spirit and then are called to obedience, what does that feel like? What does that kind of what, what's an maybe an example of what that looks like.
2: I think it's asking questions. This is how it's, uh, started for me. Just asking God a question. What do you want me to know about that? What do you want me to do about that? Um, even, um, a couple of weeks ago when I presented our vision for next gen ministry, I asked the church, would you kind of participate in listening prayer for me? Uh, let's make this, let's make this simple and immediately applicable. And I said, okay, just right now ask God and believe that he's going to respond and believe he responds in multiple ways, whether it's an audible voice, whether it's an impression that you received, but here's how, you know, is it good? Is it true? Is it beautiful? Would it bring life? Give credit to God for that. I think we get hung up by saying, was that me or was that God? That's an unanswerable question. Because the more I'm spending time in his presence, the more those sound very much the same. OK, so just like, give credit to God for every good impulse in your life and then respond to that. So it was the question of God, bring to mind one person in the next generation. Give space who came up for you. OK, then God, what is one way I could bless that child this week and then go do that? Yeah, <laughs> so even I would just say start start prayer instead of the list of things you want. Want God to do, although keep doing that. Start just by asking him a few questions about how he wants you to join him in the unleashing of life in your circles of influence and then go do it and then see what happens and then come back and celebrate with God and thank him. I think when we think about mission of God, I think it's how that's unleashed on the world. We come to him, he gives us our assignment <laughs> as a friend, right? And then we go do it and then we come and report back all the good things that happen. So.
1: I, you're making me think about something that happened the other day. Um, and we can end with this story. But my oldest daughter, Nora, has she's 13 and she's had some just anxiety lately, which is not abnormal, you know. I mean, she's a 13 year old in a world full of bombardment of technology and you know, just knowledge that they're not always ready for and things like that. And so, she just had some anxiety and I said, "Would you let me do some prayer with you?" And she she said, "Are you going to do that freedom prayer stuff?" And I said, "Well, if you'll let me, I'd like to just try something real simple with you." And so she said, "Okay." She's always compliant. And I said, I said, "Nora, will you just ask Jesus, just say, "Jesus, can you tell me why I'm anxious? What's going on?" And she listened and she said that she just had the impression that he was saying it was about trust. And I said, I said, Nora, you just say, Jesus, is there something you want me to know? And she, she kind of sat there for a minute and then she laughed out loud. And there was this moment when she was, five or six, where she had some anxiety that her head was going to fall off, like just randomly fall off, you know, irrational fears of, of a six-year-old. She laughed and she said, I had this picture of me and you on the golf cart and remembering that I felt at that point that I was going to be okay. And I heard Jesus say it was okay then, and it's going to be okay now. And I just thought, man, isn't that like our Lord to, to just show up when we're scared that he won't, you know, I mean, I, as a dad, I'm like, Oh, Lord Jesus, please do something here. Like, you know, cause I don't know what to do right now. Mm. And the way that, that he showed up mm. and spoke, spoke words to her that she needed to hear in that moment was just more profound than anything I could have done. Yeah. And I just, you know, as you've been talking, Jill, I th- it makes me think like, why don't I do that more often? I, I need to be helping my kids get into the presence of God and learning to trust him that he will show up, that they don't, they don't have to be in control of those experiences with him by knowing what to say, by knowing what list to bring, by knowing exactly the right words to conjure up so that they'll get what they want, that he's going to show up in a profound way for them. They don't have to control it
2: probably parenting in the presence of God is another podcast, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're, I would just say we're children of God before parents of our children. And so
1: that's, that's uh, awesome. And that's something that like, I think just being with you and Chris has really helped mm-hmm. me see differently, you know, you know, I, I,
0: I'm really filled up from this conversation and in a a bit challenged, but I think in a a really good way. And I, again, it, it doesn't sound like none of the words we're using are really new words. It, it, I think you hit it on the head, Jill, when you said it's a posture, it's a shift in posture and it's a really, it's receptive. And I think to add to that, it's, it as in the presence of God being in God's presence is accessible. And I want to tie that into that conversation Kevin and I had and what you were saying earlier about awareness. And I do think we do have to be discipled into that awareness. Like we, it's a, it's a journey that like, you don't start off with great awareness. You don't start off with the trust that says, if I obey in this prompting, it's going to turn out really good and it's going to be joyful and it's going to be, um, it may not be, you know, it may not just be, you know, um, all, all roses, but it's going to be for my good. But I think just that encouragement just to take little, little steps, one step at a time. God, what does, how do you feel about me right now? What does it look like? What, is there any, any, any person or anything that you want me to do today how do I feel how do I respond to this situation that I'm feeling anxious about that that story Kevin oh that was good so good If he'll do it for your daughter at 13 he'll do it for me at 43 or he'll do it for my parents generation at 63 or 73 or my grandfather who is uh, who's 96 you know who had health, Situation uh, this week, and God can meet him in that place just as well as He can meet a child. And so I don't know. I'm just just kind of basking in the invitation right now. And I, I really appreciate you, Jill, and uh, I appreciate this conversation.
2: Yeah. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Yeah. This is uh. Ex- you know, I mean, it's just always. Amazing to to get to sit and and think about how God is is unique and creative, and as you described earlier, He's just brilliant. Even to bring this conversation together in a way that is meaningful, you know, I just I'm so thankful and uh, appreciate you being willing to to come on, Jill. And so I think for today this is a good stopping point. I appreciate everybody listening in and taking the time. I know that, I know that, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't go easily uh, past me that people are taking their time to really just listen to the conversations that we're having. You know, I think that that's special. And so I just appreciate our listeners who keep, who keep downloading and you know, pressing play and, uh, and sharing these episodes. And we appreciate you do more of that in the circles that you're in. So, but the main thing we want you to remember as we are continuing on into this whole idea of staying connected, we, we really want you to remember that you are not alone.
2: Kevin, could I offer just a very quick blessing for your listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. I Bless you in the name of Jesus. That you may experience in new and profound simple settling and empowering ways the presence of god may his presence provide exactly what you need in this moment and may you walk forth in his presence carrying his presence realizing that you are in a sense the embodiment of God on earth. And may, may, his kingdom be unleashed in the listeners of this podcast in new and fresh ways as what it means to walk in the power of his presence is not only revealed, but also unfurled in you in ever increasing ways. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, everybody.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and that Jill's words inspire you to seek out connection with God. If you have any questions or thoughts on this topic, we encourage you to email us using the address in our show notes. There you'll also find some helpful links and resources. Also in our notes is an opportunity to support people suffering from the war in Ukraine. Please check out Eastern European Missions through the link in our notes and explore their options for direct support people in Ukraine and refugees in surrounding countries. Special thanks to Cheyenne Matters for producing our music, and thank you to Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring this episode. If Creative for Connection has been helpful for you, please drop a review on whichever podcast service you're using, and please share with your friends and anyone you think might appreciate these conversations. We'll see you next time.